0: Welcome to the 49th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's audio magazine podcast. Ear to the Ground features interviews and field reports related to sustainable agriculture, family farming, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. As the world becomes increasingly globalized and our agricultural system more complicated, figuring out how to make food purchases that don't come at the expense of family farmers, rural communities, and the land is becoming increasingly difficult. How do you know the real cost of that coffee you're drinking? Some years ago, that problem spawned the development of the fair trade concept. In a nutshell, fair trade advocates the payment of a fair price, as well as social and environmental standards in the production of a wide variety of goods. It started when alternative trade organizations made a commitment to work with indigenous peoples and to market their products directly to end consumers. Eventually, a fair trade certification system was developed for coffee and other products. By cutting out middlemen, fair trade organizations feel they are able to pay producers substantially more while offering a competitive product. Getting a fair price for their production means small farmers can make enough money to support themselves and improve their standard of living. True fair trade is not a charity or handout. It is simply a process of giving a fair exchange for a good product. When farmers get a consistently profitable price for their products, they can improve not only their lives, but also contribute positively to their communities and the land. For example, a reliable market gives farmers the confidence to make the kinds of long-term investments sustainable farming requires, such as composting and water conservation systems, as well as crop diversification. Equal Exchange is the oldest and largest for-profit fair trade cooperative in the United States. It offers organic coffee, tea, sugar, cocoa, and chocolate bars, as well as snack items such as nuts, all produced by democratically-run farmer co-ops in Latin America, Africa, and Asia. Equal Exchange recently opened a Minnesota branch to help get fair-traded products to consumers in the Upper Midwest. This spring, I sat down with Equal Exchange Minnesota's Scott Patterson and Joe Riemann in a small office that sits in the midst of a busy Cooperative Partners warehouse in St. Paul to talk about why it's important to work directly with farmers, what the fair trade concept really means, and why paying fair prices to family farmers is not charity. Scott started out talking about the history of equal exchange and its guiding philosophy.
1: Uh, We started out in 1986, and our first coffee was uh, a coffee essentially working around the uh, U.S. boycott of Nicaraguan goods. And it was Cafe Nika was the name of the product. And it was it was very exciting because our goal from the very beginning, which has continued, is to support small farmers and their organizations and small farmer co-ops. And so Cafe Nika was essentially small farmer Nicaraguan coffee coming through Europe around the embargo. And evidently, I wasn't around back then, I wish I was, but evidently there were quite a few... Uh, legal and other showdowns at the port, even outside of Boston, where the coffee landed. And it was, uh, every time they got the coffee in the country, it was a huge victory for small farmers. And I think uh, sort of that inspiration and and that uh, desire to help small farmers has continued to this day. As far as Minnesota's uh, part in the Equal Exchange vision and mission, um, we started just over a year ago. And the goal in showing up here on the map was... Minnesota and the Twin Cities obviously have an amazing uh, kind of cooperative food network. And Equal, the co-ops have been a huge uh, partner in Equal Exchange's success to date. And I think us being here has been an exciting way for us to service those those partners, kind of reconnect with what, what we consider our base. And also, a main reason why we're here is to take that small farmer message further. It feels like to some degree, you know, we've done a great job over the last 20-plus years of getting the word out there that fair trade is important. The mainstream consumers and and mainstream has gotten behind it. Big companies have gotten behind it. And part of that's really great. But at the same time, I think what we've seen is a lot of those players who aren't necessarily organized internally to do fair trade, or it's not their reason for being, they've sort of uh, taken the, the square block and pushed it over the top of the round peg and sort of made fair trade fit their old ways of doing business, and so our effort at being here is part of a larger equal exchange effort to reenergize that small farmer message and say, "Hey, this battle is just starting. We need to get after it, and let's see what we can do in the next 20 years."
2: Do you have something to add, Joe? Or? Uh, yeah, just because so, I working at the Wedge Co-op, that's how I got introduced to equal exchange, and you know, being a, the, one of the largest worker-owned cooperatives or anything. So I was really interested in it from the cooperative movement and being involved with equal exchange over the last year especially here in minnesota i've also learned a lot more about the interfaith program that we have which is another big part of of minnesota and us being here is as all the churches and connections to social justice work and fair trade throughout the really in-depth and like strong interfaith community which is something i didn't know before and so i've actually been introduced to that side of it too which is really interesting yeah give me a quick rundown of what all products you you got now coffee and then uh when we do tea and chocolate, um, cocoa, and then just started working with um, kind of a snack line, working with domestic farmers. Uh-huh. But but like like we kind of were the start of fair trade, I guess, with coffee, um, with our tea line, and and with chocolate bars and everything else. That's another pretty unique product that we have. We kind of feel like our tea is is much different than a lot of the fair trade tea out there. About ninety nine percent of tea out there is plantation tea and we again really value the small farmer angle and we feel like that's that's what makes us different and unique and we've kind of kept with that and so along with all of our product again with the snack line it's it's working with small farmers and small farmer co-ops here and here in the states and so
0: you know i was wondering if we could uh, just switch gears a little bit and just talk about this concept of fair trade it's thrown out around a lot and it's i think like a lot of Nice fuzzy phrases is, is a little bit in danger of getting co-opted. we're seeing it co-opted uh so what is it, what is it was it, what should it be, and what you know how how are you guys making that so it sticks to its true roots and, and, and you know just give people a rundown of what fair trade really means
1: sure well, I think ironically, you said sort of the the key word co-opted right in uh and in in a good sense. Fair trade always from our standpoint, and I think from the the founders of fair trade was about the organizations that are participating in it, and the small farmer organizations who are worker farmer owned democratically run co ops and so one of the the pieces that 's always been at the core is is that organizational structure when people run down the list of criteria and it it varies by product and we can talk about that a little bit more but but for example, in coffee, which in my mind is is still, if you will, the most pure small farmer-focused fair trade product, the list of criteria are essentially that you pay a minimum floor price, that you're working with, with small farmer co-ops who are democratically run that elect their own board of directors, that those organizations are using a portion of the fair trade premiums to reinvest in their own communities in the way that they see fit, and that you're working with them in a long-term trade partnership so it's not subject to year-to-year fluctuations. And most importantly, one of the most often overlooked parts is that you're supplying advanced credit when requested. And so I think what, if you really dig into fair trade, you'll see that the most committed players throughout time have provided that when it hasn't been requested. And the power dynamics up to this point and even going forward are such that it's really awkward for farmers to ask for advanced credit, but that's one of the th- things that can most help them. And when you're talking about you know essentially pre-harvest financing... We're talking about ownership and access to resources, such as you know, banking systems. And so one of the things that I think fair trade is in the mainstream has left behind is this discussion of who owns resources. And fair trade, at its, at its heart, is about cooperative structures and changing power and access to resources, but when you start talking about those things, maybe sometimes people get a little bit uncomfortable. And I think one of the things that we need to be open to doing is is bringing those terms back into it and reinvigorating the the fact that cooperative organizations and small farmer organizations are at the heart of it. It's not just paying a fair price. Right.
2: And it's sharing risk between those all the different all the different players in that in that system. Yeah. Shared risk. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're shortening the chain, but also it's it's, uh, it's an equally <laughs> level playing field. Everybody's kind of stepping at the table equally and, and sharing risk in that endeavor. So I think that's important.
1: Yeah, it's, that's huge. Sharing risk is, is so often overlooked and, and frequently you hear importers saying, well, we're paying them a fair price. But in reality, that's still a charity. Even just the way that language came out of my mouth, right? That's still sort of a, a charity or aid mindset. And it's not about what you just said, which is, Sharing power and risk, and that's where real transformation happens.
0: Yeah, I think it's a, an important point you guys bring up. Because I, I know I've talked to you about this before. This idea that this isn't charity—you're you're you're, 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 get, you're looking at it from a much more sustainable point of view, and that you're trying to make it possible for entrepreneurs to make a living. And this is this is uh, not just about oh well, since they're small and they're nice people, we'll give them extra money—that kind of thing, you know. And it would also seem that as globalization spreads more and more and becomes more uh, insidious, that this would become even more important. And I know the Land Stewardship Project, a lot of uh, questions we get from people is, as we get more and more involved with the local food movement is, well, uh, I want to support local foods whenever I can, but I like to drink coffee, I want to eat chocolate, you know, that type of thing. And so we've often said, well, you know, local isn't just in some ways it is geographic, but in some ways it's not. It's whether, do you know where that food's coming from? And this seems to help that a lot, I would think.
1: Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think the, the you know, first the organic movement, then fair trade, and now the local movement have all been sort of waves in, in pushing these ideas forward. and And the next step of local, I think, is to actually think about, okay, maybe it's local, but who owns that? Who, Where's the money going at the end of the day? And uh, if we can keep those dollars reinvested in economies and, and circles and cycles that share the wealth, such as cooperative economies, I think it really does benefit folks uh, to a greater degree. And so I think the next step is saying, hey, that's not just local is great, but that's not just local if that's helping someone who's, you know taking that money and buying a a big suv with it right i mean let's let's reinvest it in the right ways and that's that's the next level
2: yeah how do we be transparent about everything and and really share ownership and and make a beneficial move forward you know everybody taking taking the economy back i guess and and actually we own it again and and we're all benefiting together i think is important yeah
0: you know, and then now you've kind of taken that next step, and you're bringing it almost full circle. And you've been working with this domestic fair trade. Can you Talk a little bit about that. Uh, that's just been in the past year. I mm-hmm. think that you've been doing that.
2: Yeah, um, I think it was. I think it was probably ongoing for a while, um, but but the product actually came out on the shelf about a year ago. I think it was just that same. We I think we hit as a company that hit the twenty twenty year anniversary and kind of looked forward and said, what is, you know, where have we been and, and where are we going and where is the fair trade movement and how can Equal Exchange kind of, I don't know, take take a little more ownership in the dialogue again and really make big change um, in that system. And I think domestic fair trade is is somewhere that that we could really see it. You know, that's where people are heading again with with talk of local food and, you know, kind of support of that. I think there still was that lacking component of, are we making sure that that this is fair? That that all that that the chain is protected? And so, so yeah, we have pecans and almonds and and cranberries now. From the pecans are from a small farmer co-op down in Georgia, Southern Agricultural Cooperative. Yeah, almonds are from a co-op, and then the cranberries haven't really found a, a co-op other than what, Ocean Spray, whatever. <laughs> so, so we're working with small
1: farmers um, both in Wisconsin and the east. So you know i think the domestic fair trade program is is very much just a a work in progress in terms of thinking about how to push the envelope you know we've 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 put these products out there with the goal of of drawing people's attention to that idea um and trying to solicit input and and together kind of push the standards forward for what that might look like and it's it's you know as complicated as any fair trade concept is but um i think the it's been really well received and i think it'll be exciting to see how we can apply those same principles that that have really worked for you know small farmer coffee organizations to hopefully local farmers who need it as as bad or more you know it's not it's not just international farmers
0: you guys it's obviously you're very steeped in talking to the farmers talking to the grassroots uh finding out what their needs are and not just looking at say the market situation the market demand or or kind of what the conventional wisdom is and and, and really creating your programs through that and it seems like a real good example is uh what you've been doing recently with uh ethiopian coffee and the that that was an example of here's this generic coffee isn't it great we're supporting ethiopian coffee but turns out there was a more complicated story there and when you started talking to the actual people who were raising right. the coffee you know i i know that's a long story there but if you could just give us a little rundown and i think it's a good example of uh really talking to the grassroots and getting the real story and, 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 you know, how nuanced it can be.
2: Right. So, so yeah, this even though it was involving Ethiopian coffee, it was definitely a Minnesota <laughs> kind of thing. So I don't think we as a company would have been introduced to this without being here in Minnesota. So we, we did a, a co-hosted showing of a movie called Black Gold. Um, and Black Gold is a documentary which basically kind of talks about... Basically, the coffee industry or the you know the coffee movement, um, but through the eyes of following the Oromia Coffee Farmers Cooperative Union, which is the small farmer co-op um, in Ethiopia that, that we deal with that we get our coffee from. So I, you know, kind of learned a little bit more about Oromia, the, the coffee farmers cooperative union, and and found out that um, here in Minnesota there's over twenty thousand Oromos which come from this homeland of Oromia. I thought, I mean, just really started finding out a lot about their own lives, their culture, and their history, and their struggle, really. And um, so we did a co hosted showing of Black Gold, and uh, that was about in October. And just really, it got some great feedback about um, not only what we were doing with the farmers, that that kind of the fair trade system and everything, but also um, they basically just asked, you know, if this is coming from the Oromia. Co-op. Why is it called Ethiopian? And certainly that gets into a really, you know, kind of long history, socio-political history. But, but we felt that was important um, to kind of respect that and go on that journey together with them and see what we could do. And so, they kind of, you know, very organized youth came out with a petition and and people from around the globe signed the petition and said, yes, that's a very good idea um, to to kind of highlight the. The co-op that we're buying from um, highlight the, the the land that the coffee grows on, and so so here in the Twin Cities we changed the name of our Ethiopian, co- Ethiopian coffee to Oromian coffee, and so it's you know it's from small farmers you know in Ethiopia, but but we felt that the relationship, both as an organization with Oromia co-op, but also here in the Twin Cities, um, with all the support and, and friendships that we've made with the Oromo community that that was a an interesting way to bring their story um to to a spotlight to a highlight uh that so so people here in the co-op community could learn not only more about the farmers that we purchase our coffee from but also a little bit more about their neighbors here in the twin Cities that It's a large population um of
1: refugees and immigrants
2: that that I think kind of goes unnoticed and so this was an an interesting way to bring up their story.
1: Yeah, I mean Joe I just say that Joe's been an amazing engine, uh and the outreach there has been really cool to to hear from him and he's been taking language classes and, and through him we've made some really cool relationships and, and some really neat friends and uh you know, some folks asked us, Well, why did you do that? And and I think uh yeah, the Joe and myself responded that after spending some time with those folks and listening to them, how could we not do it? That was the you know, there was no no way, not to just kind of celebrate the the identity of that farmer co op and, and the land where they grow the coffee. So that was that was super exciting for us.
0: Just for the the average consumer who is there, you know, in this world where everything gets co opted and all that, what's some simple things they can do to make sure they're getting what they think they are when it comes to fair trade? If this is something they really want to support and all that, you know, is it looking for the label enough or what? I don't know if you guys, I'm sure you deal with that all the time.
1: You know, I wish I wish it were that easy, right? And it's 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 not. And unfortunately there's no quick solution. I think the the best kind of initial guidance that, that we could offer, and, and obviously we're a little biased here, but it's that it's that if you look for uh, who owns those companies, try and look at the ownership structures. And you know, for profit companies aren't always perfect, nonprofits aren't always perfect, and, and even co ops aren't always perfect. But what I've been really enthused about with equal exchange and, and I've seen another co-op organizations is that the way this organization is governed tries to ensure, or at least gives the best effort, that there's transparency and that can filter back out to the consumers and the farmers and it cuts both ways. And that the whole thing is designed to, to at least encourage open dialogue. And so when you when you support co-ops and you look for that dot co op out there, um, I think you got a good starting point. <laughs>
0: For more on Equal Exchange, see their website at www.equalexchange.com. That's equalexchange.com. Or call 651-379-5020 in Minnesota. That's 651-379-5020. To read Equal Exchange's new blog, visit www.smallfarmersbigchange.coop. That's smallfarmersbigchange.coop. Send your comments and suggestions about this podcast to me, Brian DeVore, at bdevore@landstewardshipproject.org. at landstewardshipproject.org. You can also call me at 612-729-6294. A special thank you goes out to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician who provided Ear to the Grounds theme music. And a very special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, you'd like to support us, Go to landstewardshipproject.org to learn how to join LSP. Thanks for listening.